This is the worksheet uh, Billy started with in my absence, and he apologized for only getting the first three done. And then I showed up and got the next three done. <laughs> so we're in number seven, and we had just kind of started that last week. This is from chapter 2 of Colossians, verses 6 through 15. Uh, what things can you identify that take place in or with Christ? Now, the, note the previous question was what two two-word phrases are reoccurring in verses 9 to 13, I think it was, yes. And those two two-word phrases were or are in him and with him. So what are some of those things that are in him and with him? according to what Paul's writing to the church here. Well, now that's from Ephesians. You can't cheat and use what he says in Ephesians and Colossians. That's just not right. What's that? Fullness of deity. If you, let's just go back up there to chapter, chapter 2 and verse 9, and we'll just start running through these things here. Uh, the fullness of deity, Bob says from verse 9, and being made complete... From verse 10, verse 11, circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. In other words, a circumcision humanity cannot accomplish. We, we can't touch sin. We can do surgeries, but we can't touch sin. And that's what the circumcision made without hands is all about. It's getting rid of our sin. Verse 12. Buried, buried with him, and then what else? Raised up. To me, an obvious reference to baptism. And if you read how it says, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through, through faith. So when someone says, well, baptism means you're not saved by faith, well, duh. Raised up in faith, in who's working at that point? According to verse 12, God is at work. It's not us. Everything to do with baptism on our part is passive. We allow somebody to lower us into the water. We allow somebody to bring us back up out of the water. I didn't do anything about my sins when I was in the water, did you? God did. He was the one at work. And Christ was the one who gave us the burial and the death and the resurrection. He gave us that to be buried into. Anybody else need a worksheet? Everybody got one? Yes, absolutely. Uh, what else we got? What's that? Okay, we, we come to life. That's what the, the resurrection is all about. So those are things that are in him and with him that are in that section. That's a, that's a thematic thing going on there. And if the church, I should say since the church, is struggling against people who are trying to teach them false ideas about religion, if they would get a grip on this, if they would know this and understand this, and same for you and me, that everything is in Christ and you and I are in Christ. We don't need anybody else. We don't need anything else. We don't need any other books. We don't need any other truths, quote-unquote, we don't need to keep any other rules or regulation. To be in Christ is everything. And that's what Paul is putting forth here in the second chapter of Colossians. 
Number eight, nailed it to the cross indicates that no one has the authority to... Con- oh, wait a minute. I'm reading the answers, not the question. I'm reading, yeah. <laughs> I, I, got a, I wrote answers down on one page and I got questions on you. What imagery... What imagery is used to show what Jesus has done with the certificate of debt? And what does this have to do with disarming rulers and authority? Okay, what's the imagery? Nailed it. How did you get that? Man, you guys are good. Nailed it to the cross. What does this have to do with disarming rulers and authorities? Okay. If, if the law that condemned us is nailed to the cross... The certificate of debt that came by the law, it's gone. So you can't say, hey, you didn't pay your debt. What what debt? It's gone. It's been nailed to the cross. Satan is spoken of as our accuser. And all of his reason for accusation against us is taken away in Christ. They have no authority. No authority whatsoever over us any longer. Who has all authority? In heaven and in earth. Yes, absolutely. Yes. When it talks about disarmed the rulers, it says divested himself of the rulers. Okay. And I think it gives us a little more imagery because... He's above the rulers and the powers. He's, you know, he raised himself. When you see in the Revelation, for example, chapter 1, Jesus is showing himself to John, but he's not showing himself to John as we would normally think of what Jesus might look like. In Revelation 1, verse 12, John has heard a voice, and he turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, he saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, he saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching down to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like wool, like snow. You ever see a picture of Jesus like that? White hair, like wool. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze. All these are images that come out of the old prophets. And if you understand the imagery from the prophets, you understand all the messages that are in this. But then it comes down to verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and I am the last and the living one. And I was dead and behold I am alive forevermore. And it, when, what's he got? I've got the keys of death and Hades. The place of death. I have authority over these things. So there is no issue with any earthly authority. Or any other heavenly authority that tries to have sway over us. So Paul is writing the church and he says, quit listening to these people who say, you've got to abide by this. You've got to keep this standard. I said, no, I don't. I'm in Christ. And in Christ, I am free from all those other things, rules, regulations that the world offers up. Next question is, uh, well, 16 to 23. We need a reader for 16 to 23. Who will do that for us? 
anybody, any literate person. Janie. Janie is well literate. 16 to 23. Therefore, let no one cast judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are the shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by the sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. All right, number nine, what does Paul mean when he says no one is to act as your judge? And let no one keep defrauding you. Either one of those, which one would you like to address? What would you say? What would you venture in this context? Okay. And are there any people in the world trying to compel us religiously to do anything unbiblical? Plenty of that going on. Watch TV. Watch those TV preachers. Not only will they compel you to do things that are not biblical, but they will assure you that some things that are biblical, you don't have to do. And one's just as bad as the other. Nobody can tell you by food or drink or respect festivals or new moon or Sabbath days. These are some of the things that are trying to entice people away. And, you know, it brings contact me that, like, you say you can't marry. Well, what base says certain people can't marry? Which one says you can't do order food and stuff like that? So, uh, how many Hail Marys you got to say or how many Rose Beads you got to have or something like that in order to be faithful? Right. He's saying don't let these things trip you up by man's way of thinking and traditions or whatever you want to call it. Apparently some of these were, well, as you can see, it's it's obvious. Some of these sound just like they were pulled right out of the Old Covenant. So if it wasn't in totality a blending of Judaism with Christ, it's at least in part that. And that was the same trouble that he addressed when he wrote to the churches of Galatia. There was the same similar kind of teaching going on there. That if you go back to the law, you've fallen away from Christ. You've fallen from grace, he would say to the churches of Galatia. And that's the same thing going on here. Um, I probably have told you the, the benefit of having email. I, I did not know before that uh, Russian women wanted to date me. Um, any, I, I also did not know um, I'm in the process of inheriting $6 million dollars from a Nigerian prince. Uh, I've, I sent the check yesterday uh, to secure the, the right. Uh, 
You ever get stuff like that? Only all the time. And now it's coming across my phone. I'm, I'm getting it in email. I'm getting it in, in texts. Paul is writing to the church saying, don't let anybody defraud you. Don't let them rob you of your reward because there's great reward in Christ. There's unfathomable reward in Christ. But to listen to the other people is to move away from Christ and from his truth. And so he says, he says do not let anybody defraud you. And you can, you can fall for stuff like that all in good conscience. You're just trying to do the most right, smart thing. And it's easy to be fooled unless you're paying attention and you're, you're paying attention to Christ. Mike? defrauding you of your freedom because Christianity is a religion of freedom. It's the only one that's a religion of freedom. Right. Every other religion you have to abide by the rules and you know, you, you know what I'm saying. But anyway, the idea of defrauding to me is to take away your freedom in some way or another to remove the freedom that we have in Christ. And it's freedom that sometimes we don't even realize we have and until Something wakes us up. For example, you remember Jesus and the apostles walking through the grain fields. What day was it? Sabbath day. What were they doing? They were, they were just pulling some of the heads of grain off. that were It was ripened grain and rolling it in their hands. And as they would roll it, the wheat germ would separate from the husk. And you could blow the husk away and eat the wheat germ, little kernels of wheat. And they were accused of breaking the Sabbath. What did Jesus say? You remember? Sabbath was made for man. Man was not made for the Sabbath. And it's like, oh, the light comes on. He also said, haven't you even read about David, what he did when he ate the holy bread that was reserved for the priests? Well, a need came up. And so the, the rule was arbitrated, if you will, because of a need. Man's needs trump law, in a sense, is, is what Jesus is saying. Now, he's not saying don't regard the Sabbath. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying don't regard things that are holy. He's saying there's a principle at work here that is higher than that. When Jesus talked about the weightier things of the law, he talked about mercy, justice, and faithfulness. Those are the same things the prophets talked about. If you want to walk with God, be pleasing to him, do those things. It's not about what you do on Saturday or don't do on Saturday or which kind of meat you eat and which kind of meat you won't eat. And it's the flesh. Here's the irony. These fake things in religion can appeal to the flesh because it makes us feel like, ah, oh, I'm doing something. I had a friend. He was, he was Catholic also. Great friend, going to school at Bear Valley. And he came out of Catholicism, and, and we were sitting out on the grass eating lunch one day. I remember it just a beautiful day in Denver, Colorado, sitting out on the churchyard eating our lunch, waiting for class to pick back up. And I said, you know, one of my most difficult things coming out of Catholicism is just being in the Church of Christ where everything is so plain. He said, I love it, but it's hard to get used to because, well, you ever been in a Catholic church? The plainest ones are pretty ornate. Anybody, 
Anybody been to Europe lately? Oh, they left. Where'd they go? I hope, hope somebody wasn't feeling bad. But when you go to Europe, that's one of the things you do on all the great tours. You go into the, the church buildings and you see the splendor. Because when those things were built, people's desire was to honor God. And they were, they were pointing them upwards towards God and putting the most uh, lavish things in them. Because the idea was you're, you're spending it for God. You're showing everybody. And at the time, there were people who couldn't read. And so they would come into the church building and they would learn about the splendor of God just from being in, in a church building, in a cathedral. So there was that element of it. But when you find out what the church really is, it's like, well, this stuff doesn't really mean anything. And that's what Paul's writing to the church at Colossae. Because you can imagine... Every city would have had their temples, their places where the images of whatever goddesses or gods there were would have been sold. And that would have been the going thing. That would have been the popular thing. And it's, he's saying, don't let anybody fool you into that, compel you to do anything else. Even if it is part of that first covenant, even if they can show you in their Bible that it's from God. You don't have to keep the Sabbath any longer. You don't have to offer bulls. And I'm, I'm probably spending too much time working on this, but, but we're free today, free in Christ. Aren't you glad? All right. Number 10, what point is made by contrasting some things as shadows with that which is called substance? What? point is made by contrasting things that are shadows with things that are substance. In the future. Okay. And that, that's, that's the best way to say it. it. They're referring to the past as well as the future. So, uh, you know, one of the things that we talk about, people having their own gods and the strange thing is, not strange, but uh, it was a belief that their gods didn't have any power outside of the city or at what area that they lived in. Right. So when you came under that rule or authority of that particular god, you had to worship him and you had to show homage to him. You know, and so uh, they wanted you to recognize who the god of that area was. But, but the, the, the sad thing is, they never realized that when Paul and them were traveling, they were not, they were not showing honor to anybody but, but Jesus Christ. And so people, that's why they got so mad. You know, you come into our town and you want to you wanna, you wanna show honor and respect for our God. You know, like, uh, like being... Uh, having a flag on your car that says "OU," you know, someone someone come from out of town and they say, "What's that? What's that OU on that?" I said, "Well, that's a that's a university." Well, what, what? Why? Why are they? Why that? Why do they have that flag? You know, and I said, "They want to honor that university." You know, <laughs> so so what you're doing is you're 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 fighting against a custom. When you come into that area where that particular God is is put forth, so these contrasts, the, the shadows, 
So, well, now, Billy had something, and, and Billy, you still have some? I was just trying to say the shadows of the law and the thing of the future is Christ, because we're free in Christ. We're no longer bound by the law. Okay. That's what I get out of that right there. All right. Don? I'd like to make an example of that. Good. You know, verse 16 talks about the days and the festivals and those things of the law. And, he's, and basically he's talking about, you know, like you said, the sufficiency of Christ. And he's beginning to talk about people that are trying to get them to work their way to heaven again. And so one of the shadows of the things to come, let's just say the Sabbath. A lot of people say, well, the Sabbath was changed from Saturday to Sunday. Well, it wasn't. Hebrews 4 tells us, today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts against him. And so there remains a Sabbath day rest, and that is every day is your Sabbath day rest. You're resting from working your way to heaven. And so when you enter into Christ, you're resting from your works to, to, to gain salvation. Christ paid it all. He's so already we're done. We're not working our way to heaven anymore. And, and so the Sabbath wasn't done away with. It was just a shadow of things to come. And under the new covenant, it's in Christ every day. We're, we're resting from working our way to heaven. Christ paid the price. All right. That's why it's so vitally important to be in Christ. We, we see that phraseology in the New Testament. To be in Christ is where, as Billy pointed out earlier, all spiritual blessings are. Of course, he was cheating because he was speaking from Ephesians and not Colossians. But we'll allow it this time. It, it, I think of the shadow and the re Well, go ahead. The old law and the new law of the shadow and the substance. Today, religion can be a shadow of... Christianity. People like to hang, they're satisfied with the shadows. It's true. And never move on to the to the substance, which is the gospel and, and following Christ. So people are satisfied living in the shadow. There it makes them feel good. Right. Keeping some semblance. Some semblance, but it's not the real thing. Good point, Lee. When when you got a birthday coming up and somebody says, I bought you a really neat present, what do you ask them? Give me a clue. Give me a hint. And so imagine that they would, they would write that clue down, that hint of what your really good present is, and, and give you that. And you've got that. And you, oh, man, I can't imagine what this present might be. Well, finally, your birthday comes, and they give you the present. And it really is fantastic beyond your wildest dreams but instead of enjoying the present you keep looking at that clue now this clue here this is pretty special and it's like what you would you would never do that you can't even wrap your mind around being so dumb to do that this was the clue was the shadow the hint of the reality and the law was a hint of the reality that's in christ so Forget the law. It was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. You don't disregard it in the sense that it's, it wasn't important. Because it's like some have said of the Bible, the old covenant is the new covenant concealed. And the new covenant is the old covenant revealed. It all makes sense when you see it. So, Mike. Just one thing. Would it be helpful to... Try out the word, uh, you know, it says things which are only a shadow of what is to come. But the, instead of substance, it says the fulfillment. Okay. The all fulfillment? Stories, all these things are fulfilled in, in Christ. Just a, a way to understand that. Right. Fulfillment. That's, that's what we see in prophecy. 
You got the prophecy, and you, oh, what's this going to be? Well, then it's fulfilled. Oh, now I see what it is. How many of you are old enough to remember watching Alfred Hitchcock in the beginning of the show? All right, just a few codgers in here. How did it start? You dun 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 dun, and then you looked at the screen, and there was this like a, uh, a silhouette line drawn, and it was it was him. But then he walked out and stepped into that silhouette. Oh, there's the guy. That's him. That's kind of the same thing. What's more important, the guy or the line that looks like the guy? It's get on YouTube tonight and look up Alfred Hitchcock show, and you'll see and hear all that. It'll be a cultural phenomenon for you. Maybe they'll bring him back. Yeah, he was a hoot. He was a nut. <laughs> Where are we here? Uh, number 11, what is meant by the statement holding fast to the head? And how can you support your answer with this within this same letter? Oh, that's a question right there. What's meant by holding fast to the head? Okay. And how would you support it using this same letter or within this letter? You go back to chapter 1, verse, what is it, 18? He is also the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. See, he's, he's already established the preeminence of Christ. And then he comes along in chapter 2 and talks about how we are in Christ. So don't let anybody defraud you or fool you into believing any other junk about don't eat this, don't do that, you've got to observe this day. You, you're free in Christ. So that's what chapter 2 is primarily about. Now in chapter 3, we don't have much time left, but this is what he says in the first four verses. Well, somebody read 1 through 4. Who's got that? 1 through 4. All right, Becca. All right, so you've been raised up with Christ. What's, what does that mean, raised up with Christ? That just mean you're, you're kind of elevated now because you you're, you're associated with Christ, so you're elevated in status? Or what, What's that mean? It, is that not a reference to what he was just talking about, being buried with Christ, and you are raised up with Since you are raised up with Christ, you've been buried into his death, and you're raised to walk with him in, in what kind of life? Newness of life. Now, I know I'm cheating too now, aren't I, Billy? That's Romans 6. But that's what he was talking about in the second chapter here. You're buried with him. The circumcision that takes place without hands is done. You're raised with Christ. So he says, since you've been raised with Christ, uh, basically translation there, keep seeking What? Well, what does that mean? What's above? What's that? Okay, heavenly things. Let's try to put some meat on that. What, what do we mean? We know heavenly things, but what are heavenly things? I agree, yeah, heavenly things. What's heavenly? Look at verse 2. Set your mind on things above. Well, 
What do you know of what's above? What do I know of what's above? Okay. Keep reading. For you've died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And you you keep on going down. Look at verse 5. Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity. Are those things from above? Those are not from above. Those are of the earth. It's because of these things, he says in verse 6, that the wrath of God is going to come on the sons of disobedience. And you used to walk in these things, but now put them aside. Put these aside too. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. All of that is of this world. It's of this earth. It's not from above. But when are you going to get to those things that are above? Verse 10. You put on the new self who's being renewed to what? A true knowledge. Anybody ever say to you, I like a religion that's better felt than known. The Greek for, word for that is baloney. That's the Greek word for it. Because when you read the scriptures, it, it's knowledge, it's information. And that's what Paul is saying here. You're renewed to a true knowledge as opposed to those who would defraud you with false information, you're renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Now, wait a minute. What's he talking about, the image of the one who created him? What's that have reference to? Do you know what Jesus looked like? Is that what this is about? What's your image of Christ based on the scriptures? You don't know anything about his hair length. Or the color of his hair. The only thing we know is from Isaiah. That said he grew up like a root out of dry ground. And there wasn't anything about him that would draw us to him. But tell me about your image of Christ. What's that? All power and all authority. Okay. What else? Oh, come on now. What? Loving. Loving. Your image of Christ is loving. If it's not, you got the wrong image. What else? Did you say passionate or compassionate? Well, he's cheating now. He's going to take both. Okay. <laughs> See, he just he wants to go to Ephesians and he wants to have two answers when he should just have one. This, this is what he's talking about. The real image of Christ. When Paul wrote about changing into the image of Christ when he wrote to the church at Corinth, he wasn't talking about the way we look outside. He's talking about the inward man. That's the only man that could be renewed. Believe me. <laughs> I've tried. <laughs> All you can do is just try to keep it from getting worse, but it doesn't work. The outward man is perishing, but the inward man's being renewed. How often? Day by day. And that's what he's talking about. The image of Christ. Put on the new self who's being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. What does that mean? Yes, because it has nothing to do with what race you look like. By the way, how many races are there? There's only one. 
Yes. And we're being changed to look more and more like him. Uh, Jamie uh, mentioned this a, a few weeks ago, that this has happened to her and it's happened to me and other people I've talked to, it's happened to them. You're visiting with somebody, you're talking with somebody, you don't know them, you just met them at an airport or whatever, and you just have a feeling, these, this is somebody, somebody different. And then you find out as you continue to talk, oh, you're a member of the Lord's Church. It's like, yeah, that's it. There's, there's something there that is sameness because of the Spirit of God. Because when you give yourself to the Spirit of God and you begin to speak and act and think as Jesus would, you begin to be that image. You take on that image. So that's what Paul is talking about here. The things that you could be defrauded with won't do this for you. You can keep all the Sabbath rules and the touch not, taste not rules. It won't do this. It'll leave you empty. But this, this will fulfill it. Verse 12. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of, here we go, a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Do you see Jesus in all that? Of course. Bearing with one another, oh man, that's Jesus, and forgiving each other, that's Jesus. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on what Peggy was talking about, which is love, the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. I still like that idea I was talking to you about, I think it was Sunday morning. I'm going to start a business, uh, a worry in business. If you worry... Bring me your worries. Uh, I'll charge you a certain sum, and you can forget about it, and I'll worry about it for you. And they'll probably say, well, how do I know you're going to worry about it? I'll say, don't worry about it. (laughs) That's $5 extra. (laughs) That'd be a great business, wouldn't it? Why aren't you worrying about that? Because you ever feel irresponsible because you're not worrying enough? That's how twisted this is. I mean, it's like, oh, I forgot to worry. I should be worried about that. No, you shouldn't be worried about that. Do you ever read anything in the Gospels or anything in the, in the epistles where Jesus said, you need to worry about that. You need to be anxious. But I was reading a story uh, where there were three brothers who never knew that they were brothers. And they were, all, they were triplets. They were identical triplets. Did they know each other when they met finally? Yes. You look just like me. <laughs> but the bad, the funny part about was that there was three of them and not two twins, but triplets. And they all went to the same school. They all wore the same, sign, same kind of color shirts and, and everything. And it was just, it was completely uh, all. It was unbelievable. Mm. Someone says, did you know your... And someone would come up to him and say, hey, hey, Joe. You know, say it. And he said, well, my name's not Joe. It's Mo. You know, like the Three Stooges. <laughs> but, but, uh, but I'm saying, though, they all went to the same college. They all had the same likes and dislikes. But they were all... But they were triplets. But they didn't know they were triplets. They had to chase. They had to chase their lineage back to where that when their mother had them she couldn't keep them they give them away 
as uh, they were adopted by other by different families, and they had all signed an agreement, you know, that no, they would never tell where the children came from. Hmm. Well, they were just babies when they were given away, and uh, then they filed a lawsuit. <laughs> I think they filed a lawsuit that that nobody ever told them that they were kin, you know. Hmm. And so how can you how can you prove that you're kin to this person? They said, pick us out. You know, they're all three identical twins. Yeah. Even dressed alike, uh-huh. and never knew each other. That's, That's quite a story. But, but, you know, like someone says, well, you, you must be a Christian. How did, how did they know this? What was there about that individual that caused them to believe that he was a Christian? It was funny. Last time we had an election, uh, I went to the polling place, and they said the first thing question they asked is, you're Republican or Democrat? And I said, you can't tell by looking, can you? Well, I didn't realize. It. I didn't even think about it, but I had worn a red shirt that day. So I said, well, you got on a red shirt. Oh, man, I didn't even realize that. But but anyway, before we close, I almost forgot. Well, I did forget. Now I'm catching up with it. Chapter 4, verse 9. You need to know this about Colossians before we end this class. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number, they will inform you about the whole situation here. Who is Onesimus? You remember Philemon, that little bitty brief letter. Philemon evidently lived in Colossae and maybe was part of this congregation. And so when Paul writes this letter to the church at Colossae, he says, Hey, Onesimus is here. He's a faithful and beloved brother. He's one of you guys. They'll inform you about the whole situation here. And he doesn't say anything in this letter now Philemon, na 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 na, he doesn't do that. He just says, Onesimus sends his greetings and you'll get the whole story later and leaves it at that. So there's a little tie here between Philemon and the church at Colossae. Wanted to leave you with that. I thought that's, that's kind of a happy note to me. Bless your hearts for being so patient in this class. And now it's over. It's history. <laughs>